welcome to the Queer History Podcast. I'm Dakota. I'm Dylan. And today we're talking about Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman is possibly the most influential American poet, best known for his book, Leaves of Grass, which was revolutionary in its style and sexual content. Walt Whitman was born the second of seven children in Long Island in 1819. For some context, 1819 was the same year Queen Victoria was born, and James Monroe was in his first term as the fifth president. Whitman was born to Louisa Whitman and Walter Whitman Sr., carpenter-turned-farmer who struggled to support his family. The United States was still a very new country, and Whitman Sr. was very patriotic, naming several of his sons after important American figures, Andrew Jackson Whitman, George Washington Whitman, Thomas Jefferson Whitman, the rest, Mary, Hannah, Edward, and Jesse, were named after family members. I really like that naming convention. It's such a fanboy thing to do. Andrew Jackson Whitman, yeah. George Washington Whitman. I like yeah, it. Like, it'd be weird, I think, to like be raised as someone that was like famous. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and like you're all like named thematically. Yeah. <laughs> um, Whitman Sr. moved the family to Brooklyn, hoping to find work. It was soon after that Whitman had one of his earliest memories. Revolutionary war hero and friend of George Washington, General Lafayette, visited New York and picked up five-year-old Walt Whitman from the crowd and kissed him. And now that, uh, now that Hamilton is such a popular musical, I think more people will know who General Lafayette is. Yeah, true. Whitman only went to school until he was 11 when he had to work to help support his family. Whitman began working as an apprentice at a local newspaper. He started doing odd jobs, but by his teenage years, he was learning about publishing and even began to contribute articles and poems anonymously. He seemed to have found his career until two different devastating fires in New York destroyed important printing districts and work became difficult to find. Whitman found himself unemployed, and in 1836, he decided to move with his family back to Long Island. Whitman's father wanted him to become a farmer, but Walt decided instead to become a teacher, despite his own limited education. As it turned out, though, Whitman hated teaching. He especially hated teaching in the rural towns in Long Island, where he had to teach large classes with huge age ranges. Some of his classes could have up to 80 students. Whitman quickly became frustrated with the students from rural, isolated towns. He described his experience to a friend in a letter, saying, Never before have I entertained so low an idea of the beauty and perfection of man's nature. Never have I seen humanity in so degraded a shape as here. Ignorance, vulgarity, rudeness, conceit, and dullness are the reigning gods of this deuced sink of despair. What this quote makes me think of is Trump voters. Um, not to be ugly about it, but yeah, that's how that, that quote describes how I feel right now. Yeah. Whitman left his teaching job for a short time to try and start his own local newspaper. However, it quickly folded and he had to return to his teaching job for a few more years, though he hated it more than ever. He finally quit for good in 1840, perhaps because he had finally had enough. However, there are rumors, though not much hard evidence, that he had been having an affair with one of his male students and was run out of town. After leaving his teaching job, Whitman returned to New York, 
and returned to working at a series of newspapers. He soon became the editor of the Brooklyn Eagle. He used his new position to publish stories opposing slavery and defending the working class. Whitman was strongly opposed to slavery spreading to the new western territories, although his reasons were not entirely idealistic. He was worried that the free labor of slavery would take work away from white laborers. Eventually, in 1948, Whitman's anti-slavery writing lost him his job as editor of the Eagle when pro-slavery publisher grew tired of Whitman's opposition. Luckily for Whitman, he soon found work at a new paper, The Crescent, in New Orleans. Whitman, who was now 29, took his 15-year-old brother with him to Louisiana. Whitman fell in love with the energy, diversity, and culture of New Orleans. He loved the French Quarter, meeting the soldiers from the Mexican-American War. However, he also came face to face with the reality of slavery. He was greatly affected by watching slave auctions, and he became more adamant in his abolitionist beliefs. However, this put him in conflict with the Southern newspaper he worked for, and after only a few months, he left the Crescent Paper and New Orleans and returned east. Whitman began writing Leaves of Grass around 1850 and spent the next five years working on the first edition. At the age of 36, he financed the printing of the first edition in 1855, printing less than a thousand copies. Only days after Whitman published Leaves of Grass, his father died, leaving Whitman with the responsibility of caring for his large family. The first edition of Leaves of Grass received mixed reviews, although a famous poet, Ralph Waldo Emerson, said he thought it was exactly what American poetry should be. Whitman quickly began working on his second edition of Leaves of Grass, adding several poems and putting a quote from Emerson, quote, I greet you at the beginning of a great career, on the spine, although he never asked for Emerson's permission, and Emerson was not entirely happy when he found out about it. The second edition sold no better than the first. After the publication of his second edition of Leaves of Grass, Whitman began to frequent bohemian meeting places, such as Taft's Saloon, where he met with other writers and thinkers of the time, such as Henry David Thoreau, as well as socializing with feminists and abolitionists. During this time, Whitman met Fred Vaughn, a stagecoach driver. Not much is known about Fred Vaughn, but it seems that Vaughn quickly moved in with Whitman. Vaughn seems to have been the inspiration for Whitman's Calamus, a series of homoerotic poems. In 1860, Whitman moved to Boston, where an abolitionist publisher was interested in publishing another edition of Leaves of Grass. Whitman's colleagues, including Emerson, tried to convince Whitman to tone down the frank sexual content in his poems, specifically in Children of Adam, which described male-female sexual acts, and Calamus, which portrayed homoerotic male affection. Whitman defended his writing, saying that, quote, the sexual passion in itself, while normal and unperverted, is inherently legitimate, creditable, and not necessarily an improper theme for a poet. With this addition, Whitman began to achieve a little fame, though the company folded within a year. By 1861, Whitman had returned to New York, just as Lincoln was inaugurated. 
Only a month later, the South fired on Fort Sumter, and the Civil War began. Whitman was now in his 40s, but his younger brothers, George and Andrew, quickly joined the Union Army. Andrew died in only a few months, likely of tuberculosis. The other two Whitman brothers did not join the army. Jefferson stayed home to care for the family, and Jesse had become violent after attacking his mother. He was committed to King's County Lunatic Asylum, and Eddie was mentally disabled. Whitman began visiting the Broadway Hospital in New York, visiting injured civilians as well as soldiers. He began helping the physicians to take care of the injured men while becoming friends with the men in his care, all the while learning about the war as well as different parts of the country he had not visited. As he spent more time in the hospital, physicians would rely on him for more tasks, including assisting them during surgery. One day, while the Whitman family read the newspaper's daily list of killed soldiers to check on George, they read the name G.W. Whitmore on the list of casualties. Afraid that this was a typo for George Washington Whitman, Walt Whitman left for Virginia to see if he could find George Whitman, and was relieved to find his brother alive, but horrified by the reality of the war. Outside of a makeshift hospital, he saw, quote, a heap of amputated feet, legs, arms, hands, and a full load for a one-horse cart. Human fragments cut bloody, black, and blue, swelled and sickening. Beside this, he saw several dead bodies covered with blankets. This sight inspired Whitman to stay in the South and work as a nurse for the injured soldiers. Whitman had a series of intense but brief relationships with the men he nursed, including a young man, a 19-year-old Confederate soldier who had an amputated leg. Whitman described their relationship saying, quote, our affection is an affair quite romantic. These young men continued to stay in touch, sending him letters about the war or their recuperation and lives after returning home. During this time, Whitman was writing poems for a book called Drum Taps, which would eventually become part of later editions of Leaves of Grass. During this time, his brother George was captured and held as a prisoner of war by the Confederacy. It's so interesting, the idea of people like meeting um, like queer people meeting other queer people, like, or just like, like creating homoerotic relationships like back then, because like they didn't have grinder, you know, like just, just like thinking to like back then, like how different that would have been. I think of that all the time. How, like, imagine, imagine you're gay and it's the 1800s. You have like your town usually, like you don't, you don't have that big of a pool of people yeah. and uh, and even if you do like, not a, like, what do you, what do you say? You see someone you have to, they better send some really strong signals because if you are open about yourself, you're in big danger and you giving that information away is, is dangerous. And then you're, you're giving them power Absolutely. over you, the power to possibly imprison yeah. you and, uh, or have you imprisoned. And it's just like, I, I feel like how many people, how many gay people live their lives completely celibate or just because of the danger or just at least never doing anything that they were interested in? Yeah. Oh, it's so depressing. It, it just, it took such bravery to even, to even have a relationship. Whereas now I just have to psych myself up to send a, a message. Yeah. <laughs> like a text. <laughs> 
hovering over the send button or, you know, I used to be in a club being like, go talk to that girl. That girl's not going to call the police and be like, oh my God, this homosexual (laughs) is talking to me. She touched me. Yeah. Like (laughs) she's there too. Oh my goodness. I guess. Like no one shared stats back then. (laughs) That's another thing about queer clubs back then, I guess that were, you know, you, if you were there, you knew that these people, like it was more safe because these people were there as well. Sure. That, but that's what's so scary. Like, yeah, you meet them in war, in in school. You you have no guarantee. Yeah. Whitman's health began to decline in 1864, and he returned to Brooklyn and his family for a short time. He continued to visit wounded soldiers in local hospitals, as well as writing for the New York Times and other papers, writing about the war and advocating for prisoner exchanges, hoping to free his brother. He did not stay in Brooklyn long, however. As soon as he recovered, he eagerly returned to Washington, finding a job in the Indian Bureau Department, where he worked as a clerk. This job exposed him to many Western Native American people, exposing him yet again to more of America and inspired some later poems, mourning the loss of Native American language and culture. He was later fired from this job when his boss read Leaves of Grass and was scandalized by the sexual content. I don't know. I feel like that's a pretty modern thing as well. Like your boss finds your Twitter or finds your blog and is like, uh, we got to talk. Yeah. Like you can't be part of this company. (laughs) Or like he finds your nudes or something online. (laughs) (laughs) Whitman's just, you know, ahead of his time. Yeah. He just published a whole, he had a whole publishing company and (laughs) erotic poetry. And like worked really hard to get it out there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not only that, it's like, stop, like, trying to promote your nudes, (laughs) please. (laughs) Stop trying to promote your erotica. Uh, As the war came to an end, George was freed from prison, and Whitman went to visit him in Brooklyn. During this visit, Lincoln was assassinated at Ford's Theater, inspiring several poems by Whitman, most famously, O Captain, My Captain. With the end of the Civil War began the Reconstruction and also the beginning of the most important relationship of Whitman's life. One night in 1865, Whitman was riding an empty streetcar and struck up a conversation with the young conductor. He was Peter Doyle, a 21-year-old former Confederate. Doyle described the meeting by saying, We were familiar at once. I put my hand on his knee. We understood. He did not get out at the end of the trip. In fact, went all the way back with me. So that's, yeah. See, that's that's what we were talking about. Like, just, just, oh yeah, he'll understand. Like, oh my God, but what if he doesn't? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, like, that's a big come on, like me. <laughs> like, hmm. Even if I'm like in a place and I know that the person is gay, I'd still, I still don't have those feelings, that confidence. Yeah. He's such a brave person, and Whitman's such an interesting character because, like, he's he's just not ashamed of it, like, at all. No, he's just like this is this is very natural. Yeah, it reminds me of Turing, too. Like, yeah, it, hmm. yeah, both of them just they're very confident, and also, or just not maybe not confident, but uh, both don't understand what the world has a problem with. Yeah. Um, Peter Doyle was born in Ireland, but came to the United States as a young child. He fought for the Confederacy 
and was actually in Ford's theater the night President Lincoln was assassinated. He was rough and had little education, but Doyle was youthful, handsome, and working class, just like the men Whitman was idolizing in his writing. Whitman was immediately infatuated with Doyle, and the two became very close. Whitman even became close to Doyle's family, especially Doyle's mother. Whitman taught Doyle about history and literature, and Doyle nursed Whitman, whose health was beginning to falter. Whitman's relationship with Doyle was extremely close through the 1860s. Though the intensity of Whitman's feelings sometimes made the relationship turbulent, with Whitman becoming frustrated that he was the more dedicated and passionate of the pair. In an entry from one of Whitman's notebooks, he vents his anger with Doyle, who he referred to as, in code, as 16.4, saying he wished, quote, to give up absolutely and for good from the present hour this feverish, fluctuating, useless, undignified pursuit of 16.4, too long, much too long, persevered in so humiliating. End quote. 16.4 referenced Peter Doyle's initials and their placement in the alphabet. Quote, Depress the adhesive nature. It is in access making life a torment. Ah, this diseased, feverish, disproportionate adhesiveness. Remember Fred Vaughn. Fred Vaughn was a stagecoach driver from New York, and who Whitman also felt he had loved more fervently than was reciprocated. And you can't tell in the audio, but that quote is full of, not caps lock, I guess, because it's not written on the computer, but like fully capitalized letters, and uh, just you can tell how upset he was. Yeah. <laughs> In 1973, Whitman experienced a series of tragic events very close together. Whitman himself had a stroke, his mother became very sick, and his sister-in-law, who had been caring for the Whitman family, including his mother, died. Even though he was very sick himself, Whitman traveled to where his mother lived in Camden, New Jersey. He managed to make it back days before she died. And after her death, he stayed in New Jersey and with his brother George. In 1876, at the age of 57, Whitman met 18-year-old Harry Stafford. Stafford worked as an errand boy for the Camden Publishing House, where Whitman came to work on Leaves of Grass. Stafford lived with his family in a farm near Kirkwood, New Jersey. Whitman began visiting him frequently, sleeping in Stafford's room. Um, wow. <laughs> it's a big, big age difference, and just the fact that he's just yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to stay in the home with your family. And the family's like, that's cool. Yeah, I'm so curious, like, how that worked out. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just work with him. I think it was, yeah, the it must be the invisibility of homosexuality. It, it's, you know, at times it was useful. You could, yeah. you know, skirt under the radar a little bit. Especially, and I wonder him being 57, I wonder if they just thought of him as like, oh, this harmless old man. And he must have been so charismatic, too. Yeah. Because he got all... Yeah. Because he... he um, the, the families, he would have relationships with all with the families mm-hmm. as well. And, like, all those um, soldiers that he nursed as well. Like, he's just constantly, like, meeting these guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we need to ask for tips from Walt Whitman. Yeah. Um, and, like, they're writing him afterwards, so it's not like as soon as he's gone, they're like, see ya, because... 
it'd be so easy to never hear from him again. No, they're writing to him. Yeah. Yeah. These aren't just hookups. These are like <laughs> yeah. romantic experiences. Whitman's relationship with Peter Doyle had become more distant, with Whitman living in New Jersey and Doyle living in the South. Now Whitman became extremely focused on Stafford, though their relationship was even more chaotic than Whitman's relationship with Doyle. When they got along, they were reported to wrestle and, quote, cut up like two boys. Whitman gave Stafford a ring, which Stafford would repeatedly return and take back, depending on how they were getting along. Hey, that's what you get for dating a teenager. Yeah, like, that's that's so childish. It's so high school. (laughs) Take it back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Like with... Like with Doyle, Whitman became friends with Stafford's family, who saw him as a mentor figure for Stafford. They even had a portrait of Whitman displayed in their home. Man, that is charisma. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> like, oh, I, I just wish I could be there and just, just like, see these, like, dynamics in these families. I know. I want a TV show about it. I want, no, my future in-laws, I'm going to hang up a photo of just me. <laughs> On their wall. <laughs> not not me and their daughter, just just me. Here you go. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Maybe like a tea or like a rose in between my teeth. Like enjoy. Yeah, like holding a book that you published. Like. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. In 1881, a large publishing company, James R. Osgood and Company began publishing the latest edition of Leaves of Grass. Whitman was initially very excited, but soon the book began being accused of obscenity. The publishing house proposed editing out large sections of his poems, often crude words or sexual references, but sometimes entire poems. Whitman instead took his work to a publisher in Philadelphia, where it could be printed in its entirety. In January 1882, Oscar Wilde came to meet Walt Whitman. Future podcast subject, Oscar Wilde, (laughs) Irish author. (laughs) I'm very excited about the Oscar Wilde episode. Um, Irish author of The Picture of Dorian Gray and The Importance of Being Earnest. He was later famously tried in court for sodomy. Oh, this is two episodes where I've mentioned Oscar Wilde. (laughs) Um, He was later famously tried in court for sodomy. But when he went to meet Whitman, he was young, just starting his career, 27 years old, and Whitman was towards the end of his life. Wilde was coming to meet him as a fan of his poetry. It's like passing the baton. Like I know. It's it's so uh it and it it's just so exciting, like these two huge poets known for very similar hmm I guess known for homosexuality, although they seem to have like opposite opposite like aesthetics yeah but <laughs> like still. one is very about nature and one is very like decadent but and yet they they really appreciated each other yeah wild visited whitman at his home and they talked about poetry while drinking elderberry wine when one of wild's friends remarked that he hated elderberry wine wild said quote if it had been vinegar i would have drunk it all the same for i have an admiration for the man which i can hardly express after the meeting, Whitman wrote of the meeting to Harry Stafford, saying, quote, Have you read about Oscar Wilde? He has been to see me and spent an afternoon. He is a fine, large, handsome youngster. Had the good sense to take a great fancy to me. In another letter to Stafford, he wrote, quote, 
Oscar Wilde sent me his picture yesterday, a photo a foot and a half long, nearly full length. Very good. (gasps) I love that so much. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The fact that Oscar Wilde sent a photograph of himself (laughs) to someone he just met and he was a fan of. Oh man. Yeah, like he's a pinup of, of me. <laughs> and it's such an Oscar Wilde thing to do. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. When Wilde talked about meeting with Whitman, he said, I have the kiss of Walt Whitman still on my lips. So, you know, pretty pretty exciting. Yeah. Pretty good meeting. I, I still just want to say I really love the idea of, like, these two poets meeting each other. Like... <laughs> There's so, such, like, big names in, uh, at least in, like, gay history. Like, just these ideas, like, these two people. Yeah, that uh, they had this meeting, and they're both, like, so excited about each other. And I, I, I think I like the idea of Whitman just thinking Oscar Wilde is, like, cute guy. Like, oh, this guy's so cute. He really likes me. And, uh, oh, you know, not knowing what Oscar Wilde is going to be. Yeah, I... I I wonder how much they talked about poetry and how much they just, like, <laughs> you know. Uh, did other stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that I'm curious about, too, but I'll save it out of the podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh. In 1884, Whitman's brother, George, left Camden, New Jersey, to retire to a small farm. But Whitman decided to stay. He bought his own small home at 328 Nickel Street, which is still standing and can be visited as the Walt Whitman House. He continued to write and add to Leaves of Grass, writing his final edition in 1891, sometimes called the Deathbed Edition. In late 1891, he changed his will, deciding to give his silver watch to Stafford rather than to Doyle. His health worsened in 1892. A former sailor, Frederick Warren Fritzinger, stayed with him to nurse him and was with him when he died of tuberculosis on March 26, 1892. Thank you for listening to the Queer History Podcast. You can find us at queerhistorypodcast.tumblr.com or on Twitter at queerhistorypod, P-O-D. Music by Liv Slingerland. We'll see you next time. You can contact us at thequeerhistorypodcast at gmail.com. For more queer history, subscribe on iTunes, and we would appreciate it if you would rate and review. 